Hello and welcome. On behalf of CME Outfitters, thank you for joining us for today's CMEO briefcase titled Managing Your Patients with Psoriasis and Inflammatory Bowel Disease, a conversation with the experts. Today's program is supported by an independent educational grant from Janssen, administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs. I'm Dr. Anita Daly. I'm a professor of medicine at the University of Cincinnati. Here's our first learning objective. Assess the genetic, pathophysiologic, and other links between psoriasis and inflammatory bowel disease. We have an audience response question before we get started. Which of the following is true regarding the incidence of psoriasis and inflammatory bowel disease? From this, you can see that the correct answer is that it's B, there is an increased risk of developing IBD in patients with psoriasis. Hi, Tasha. How are you doing today? Hi, Dr. Afzali. I'm doing okay. I'm having some issues and was hoping we could discuss them. I'm sorry to hear that you've been having some problems. Tell me a little bit more of what's happening. Well, everything seems to be going okay with my Crohn's disease, and my infleximab seems to really be helping with the abdominal pain and diarrhea, but I'm worried that maybe I was having some sort of reaction to the medicine. I'm glad to hear your symptoms have improved for your Crohn's disease. Can you tell me a little bit more about this reaction you're having? So for the last few weeks, I've noticed these rough patches of skin on my elbows, arms, and knees. They are itchy and really dry, and I've tried exfoliating with a loofah when I shower and rubbing lotion on them several times a day, and they just get worse and worse. I'm also having some pain in my joints. What do you think is happening? Hmm. Well, I'm not sure that these would be things related to your infusions, or it could be something separate. Can you tell me a little bit more about the pain in your joints? Where is it? Is it constant? Does anything make it worse or even better? Well, the fingers in my left hand have started swelling, and I feel pain when I try to move them. The same thing is happening in all of my toes in both feet. Hmm. Well, there are a few things that this could be. One thing I want to look into more is whether this is psoriasis, which is a skin inflammation that's caused by your immune system. The other possibility is that this could be a medication-related side effect. Okay. So let's start with a patient case. We have a 27-year-old female with a three-month GI follow-up for her Crohn's disease, and this is a virtual visit. Again, Crohn's disease was diagnosed six months ago, and she was started on infliximab, five milligrams per kilogram every eight weeks. She has moderate disease activity at the time of diagnosis. Review of systems is remarkable for the skin, where she reports patchy, scaly, itchy skin on her elbows and her knees. Pain in her extremities, primarily the small joints of the left hand and her bilateral feet. And from a GI bowel symptoms perspective, she has and reports occasional abdominal pain, maybe once or twice per week, uh, but it doesn't seem to disrupt her daily activities. Her lab and test results, as described here from the three months ago, her CRP is elevated at 90, her fecal calprotectin is slightly elevated at 225, 
albumin 3.7, hemoglobin 12.5, and her last colonoscopy was performed three months ago, and there, this was remarkable for mild inflammation with erosions in the terminal ileum. Now, taking a step back, when we talk about psoriasis and inflammatory bowel disease, as you can see that there is, in fact, an intersection between these two disease states. With inflammatory bowel disease, these patients are one and a half times at an increased risk of developing psoriasis. And if you had psoriasis, you're at 1.7 times increased risk of developing inflammatory bowel disease. Now, overall, the prevalence of IBD in patients with psoriasis is about 1 or 2 percent, and the prevalence of inflammatory bowel disease in patients without psoriasis is 0.4 percent. Now, the links between psoriasis and inflammatory bowel disease is based off of disease characteristics of whether it's a chronic inflammatory or gonotropic tissue selective type of uh, process that might be the reason behind this, this linkage. Again, certainly there's this dysregulation of both the innate and the adaptive immune systems, having a higher genetic predisposition. Again, higher incidence seen between these links of psoriasis and inflammatory bowel disease among first-degree relatives. Then there's also some shared genetic markers of disease seen between both psoriasis and IBD. The gut dysbiosis and the alterations in the gut microbiota has also been seen in both conditions. And then we've also seen environmental triggers, stress or smoking, have had and been demonstrated to be shared triggers in both of these conditions. When we look at the pathophysiology for either psoriasis or inflammatory bowel disease, you can see that looking at the mechanisms of inflammation, there is certainly an overlap in the pathways in the cytokine cascade, inflammatory cytokine triggers for either of the disease states, whether that trigger ultimately leads to a disruption in and in, in cause of inflammation in the gut or whether that trigger causes a disruption in that normal cascade and inflammation in, onto the skin. What has recently been described based off of a, a great study actually that describes the immune-mediated inflammatory disease states, you can see that there perhaps are some tissue-specific cytokine-connected triggers, if you will, in these cascades, and specifically a common shared pathway among both the organs of the gut as well as the skin that perhaps contributes, again, to the pathophysiology when there is a disruption to the cytokine cascade, specifically for the gut, Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, and the skin, psoriasis. Psoriasis and dermatologic conditions in inflammatory bowel disease uh, has been described in, in many ways. It could either be an independent immune-mediated disease, so you can have independently psoriasis in and of itself. It could be secondary related to underlying inflammation of the gut, or it can be more of a paradoxical adverse event specifically related to anti-TNF therapies. We usually divide extraintestinal manifestation into those that parallel bowel disease or intestinal inflammation and those that don't. 
And when you look at this table, you can see that psoriasis has been described to parallel bowel disease activity, as has oral aqueous ulcers, episcleritis, and erythema nodosum, as well as the peripheral or type 1 arthropathies. Now, those conditions that don't necessarily parallel bowel disease activity are the axial arthropathies that's been described, or even the type 2 peripheral arthropathies. And then those that may or may not necessarily parallel bowel disease activity are what's listed here with pyoderma gangrenosum, uveitis, and PSC, or primary sclerosing cholangitis. It's important to manage the TNF-induced psoriasiform rash or TNF-induced psoriasis very carefully. First and foremost, when your patient develops a psoriasiform rash or psoriasis, it's important to first differentiate on whether their underlying bowel disease is well-controlled or if it's not well-controlled with that TNF agent. If the bowel disease is not well controlled with that TNF agent that your patient is on, and now it's also causing the psoriasiform rash, then in that situation, you should altogether consider switching to a different mechanism of action or a different biologic or even small molecule that might be most appropriate for the patient. If the underlying bowel disease is well controlled, or if the patient on top of that has well-controlled bowel disease and only mild skin reaction and symptoms, then in that situation, perhaps just topical therapy for the psoriasis, in addition to continuing on the TNF agent, may be appropriate with careful monitoring. If the underlying bowel disease is well-controlled, but the patient has the skin rash and lesions that's quite significant, aside from that mild, quite moderate or more severe, then in that situation, potentially the topical therapy alone is not enough, and an additional therapy, systemic therapies, may need to be considered, whether that's methotrexate, cyclosporin, et cetera. And still, overall, a consideration for an alternate treatment agent altogether may still be necessary, again, if the skin rash and lesions and the psoriasis is severe, moderate to severe, and now this is contributing to worsening quality of life, worsening reported symptoms, et cetera. So again, it's very important to carefully evaluate bowel disease inflammation. Is the bowel disease being appropriately controlled with the TNF? And or is the bowel disease controlled with the TNF, but now is the skin manifestations quite severe? In all of these situations, through shared decision-making, it's going to be important to make sure you're appropriately managing both the gut and the skin. So looking back into our first patient case uh, example, as you can see that this patient is currently on infliximab with Crohn's disease and has developed worsening skin symptoms. And as I discussed with her, the concern is on whether this is a, uh, a disease state or condition in and of itself of developing psoriasis in and of itself. Could this be potentially related to another extraintestinal manifestation, specifically skin manifestation that may or may not parallel her bowel disease activity? Or is this a medication and specifically a TNF-related adverse event? So what we call a seraziform rash uh, developed because of the infliximab exposure.
The helpful considerations here would be first and foremost to have your dermatologist be able to evaluate the skin and, and, and you yourself as a gastroenterologist make sure that you're evaluating the gut. So how well controlled is her Crohn's disease at present with infliximab? The reason that's important is not necessarily does psoriasis parallel bowel disease activity in and of itself, but more so if she's on a medication, specifically an anti-TNF, that's causing this paradoxical rash formation, then perhaps in that situation it would be more effective and better for the patient to switch them all together off of a therapy that's not only not controlling the, the gut, but then also causing an adverse event or that serraziform rash. So in, in Tasha's situation, the initial skin rash and lesions she had and described, it was evaluated by our dermatologist, and our dermatologist initially started her on topical therapy. My repeat laboratory testing and diagnostic studies actually found that she continued to still have active bowel inflammation as well. And during this time, despite topical therapy, if symptoms are not improving, the skin symptoms and bowel inflammation is not healing related to infliximab, then at this point, it would be most appropriate to switch to a different mechanism of action and specifically an IL-1223 ustekinumab or an IL-23 antagonist to be able to now address both the skin and the gut inflammation. So here's our second learning objective for the day, which is to select the appropriate pharmacotherapeutic treatment for patients with co-existing psoriasis and inflammatory bowel disease. Let's look at another patient case. Hi, Yolanda. I'm Dr. Abzeli. Tell me what's been going on and why you were referred to our office. Well, I've been having a lot of stomach problems, so my primary doctor thought I should come see you. Okay, what kind of stomach problems are you having? I was diagnosed with IBS a few years ago. Once in a while, I would have a few days of stomach cramping and diarrhea. It would always get better after a few days, but it's not going away this time. Okay, and how often are you having the stomach pain and the diarrhea? It's happening almost every day. I've tried eating different stuff, but it's the same every day. Hmm. And is there any blood in your bowel movements? And have you noticed the pain anywhere else? I think there might have been blood a few times. And when did you start having the pain and the diarrhea? It's been at least three weeks since it started. I can't remember exactly when the symptoms started, but I know it's been at least that long. I also have psoriasis. Could there be anything to do with psoriasis that's causing my stomach problems now? Well, it's hard to say if they are or are not related at this point. Did you start any new medications for your psoriasis? Yes, I saw a dermatologist and they started me on medication that I have to inject. It looks like you were started on secukinumab, and the biggest concern I have is that there is perhaps some inflammation happening now in your gut. That could certainly cause the pain and the diarrhea with the bleeding that you're seeing. I think we need to run some additional tests and also get you scheduled for a colonoscopy to see if your gut tissue is inflamed. 
And then once we have more information and the testing completed, then I think we can figure out what to do next. Okay. So let's review the second patient case. Again, this is a 33-year-old female establishing care with a gastroenterologist after developing persistent diarrhea, abdominal pain, and also blood in her stools. The past medical history is remarkable for plaque psoriasis, and her current treatment is secukinumab, which was, in fact, started about six months ago. She previously carried a diagnosis of irritable bowel syndrome, diarrhea predominant with occasional stomach cramping and diarrhea that would resolve after a few days. And now multiple episodes of diarrhea each day, anywhere from three to six bowel movements and also pain that's not relieved with bowel movements. And she has noticed blood in her stools. Her symptoms have been going on for about three weeks. Slide highlights the IL-17 psoriasis pathogenesis, and it's primarily to highlight the, again, the inflammatory cascade or the cytokine-specific cascade related to ultimately the presentation of psoriasis. And you can see here with the activation of the IL-17, there's now the activation of keratinocytes and in turn hyperproliferation. Again, this is a, an overview, a very brief overview of looking at how we're seeing the inflammatory cascade and the pathogenesis of psoriasis. So let's go to our next question. Which of the following treatments is FDA approved to treat both Crohn's disease and psoriasis? From these options, the correct answer is ustekinumab. There's been a difference in reality and in theory of IL-17 blockade, specifically related to inflammatory bowel disease. Now, blocking IL-17 was thought to initially alleviate inflammation within the IL-17A knockout mice who were chemically induced with having colitis. And again, in theory, the thought was that this, the treatment of IL-17 neutralizing monoclonal antibodies would in fact improve the inflammation. This was not seen in mice. In reality, what the chemically induced colitis treated mice with an IL-17 neutralizing monoclonal antibody, in fact, led to worsening inflammation. In clinical trials of anti-IL-17A or IL-17A receptor antagonists in patients with inflammatory bowel disease, this resulted, in fact, again, in worsening outcomes compared to placebo. So looking here from the IL-17 in inflammatory bowel disease, anti-TNF-alpha and anti-IL-1223 and anti-IL-23 can impact IL-17 production, but we don't have the same effects as agents targeting IL-17 specifically. When we look at the pathogenesis of the IL-17 inflammatory cascade, we need to also specifically look at what's happening upstream and then downstream related to the, the cytokine activity and roles. As delineated here, when we're looking specifically with IL-17 in inflammatory bowel disease, and specifically, again, looking at these different targeted therapies, what's described here, again, upstream, you have, for example, different mechanisms of action or therapeutic options for each of these respective uh, cytokines. When we look at anti-TNFs or alpha, TNF-alpha, this is what ultimately leads to that activation early on of our dendritic cells. 
This in turn leads to the activation of the Th17 cells. And this is where your anti-IL-23s or anti-IL-12-23s impact the production from the Th17 up to the now IL-17 activation and production of the IL-17. And so when you're seeing here as listed out with the producing IL-17 producing cells, as listed out here, you have your different cells that are now activated, which also includes the keratinocytes. And from this, you can see that downstream, you're now having that effect on the beneficial effect of the IL-17 blockade because of this proliferation, hyperproliferation of keratinocytes and the activation of the keratinocytes. And so, once again, we're seeing that beneficial effect with IL-17 blockade because now you're decreasing that proliferation or that hyperplasia of the keratinocytes, and you're seeing a decreased immune cell activation altogether. Now, aside from the skin, on the intestines, we're actually seeing a deleterious effect with this IL-17 blockade. So in turn, we're now seeing a worsening intestinal inflammation. We're seeing a weakening of the epithelial barrier that we see within the intestines. And in turn, we're also seeing an increased susceptibility to infections, perhaps, again, with this disruption of the epithelial barrier. There's three IL-17 targeted agents that are approved currently in the U.S. for the treatment of psoriasis and the indications as described here. So you have secukinumab, excizumab, and brotolimumab all listed out with the respective indications. For the investigations of IL-17 or anti-IL-17 therapies in inflammatory bowel disease, there's been two phase two studies as uh, described here, botulinumab and secukinumab, and both with about 60 to 130 patients with Crohn's disease. And again, really highlighting the impact, the negative impact that is seen in the Crohn's disease with worsening Crohn's disease more often seen among the treated patients compared to the placebo, as well as uh, additional reported adverse events and early discontinuation of therapy, again, related to worsening bowel disease. Once again, highlighting that we're seeing that the reality, that the, the difference in that effect of what, again, what we theorized, which was that perhaps this could target and work on an inflammatory cascade, but in reality, among our patients, we're seeing a worsening of bowel disease for those patients exposed to an anti-IL-17 treatment. And these IBD events that were seen among those patients on anti-IL-17 use has also been described. And again, these are in the either post-marketing psoriasis trial data as described here with, uh, with each of these respective anti-IL-17 agents, large patient volume. And you can see from these reported cases, IBD as an adverse event is described among each of these treated uh, patients of, of eight new IBD cases. Cases, 21 new IBD cases, and two new IBD cases, respectively, for these therapies. Now, limitations of reviewing clinical trial, trial data for IBD events certainly needs to be also be considered. IBD events was not defined in advance as an adverse event of interest. And so, again, this could be underreported or even underrecognized. And, and there's no standardized evaluation 
for this event because, again, this wasn't the purpose of the study, but this is mostly to highlight that these adverse events of inflammatory bowel disease occurring was documented and seen from these post-marketing data or phase three psoriasis data results. Larger scale investigations have also been completed in order to further establish this relationship seen between the development of inflammatory bowel disease after exposure to anti-IL-17 agents. The first one is by Oral et al. And this was a study group of greater than 5 million patients with either ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease. The patient data from adverse event reporting systems were reviewed specifically for cecukinumab-related ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease. And what resulted as far as looking for was the IBD cases identified from these review of the databases. Notably, the safety signal for secukinumab was found in that adverse event database with a proportion relative ratio of 4.65 related to secukinumab and for the adverse events of either ultraclise or Crohn's disease. The next study is a large electronic health records of over 62 million individuals and patient data from Explorus uh, for electronic medical records accumulation and information was extracted. And from this, a total of 2,870 received uh, patients had received secukinumab and specifically IBD cases were identified. What was found from this large electronic health records database was that the rate of de novo inflammatory bowel disease after being treated with secukinumab was higher than the prevalence of inflammatory bowel disease within that general population, so 3.2% versus less than 1%. It's important to screen for inflammatory bowel disease risk when you're considering treating a patient with an anti-IL-17 treatment. To start searching for a family history of inflammatory bowel disease is a, is a good beginner. And then also evaluating with your specific patients whether they currently have baseline or underlying gastrointestinal symptoms. Being able to appropriately discuss with them and counsel with your patients about the possible risks of gastrointestinal side effects. And then even perhaps determining if a baseline fecal calprotectin is useful. Um, again, not necessarily as a screening tool, but particularly if that patient previously has been reported as an example to have been, to have irritable bowel syndrome. And maybe you want to differentiate whether this is truly irritable bowel syndrome, IBS, or even mild IBD, inflammatory bowel disease. Now, a normal fecal calprotectin at baseline doesn't necessarily exclude the possibility of developing inflammatory bowel disease after IL-17 treatment or exposure, but having a normal baseline fecal calprotectin can perhaps help uh, you in the future should your patient develop some symptoms uh, that, uh, that you could use as a baseline comparator to, to again, evaluate more and monitor further down the road if needed. And then again, once you've initiated therapy, whatever that appropriate therapy is for your patient, then it's important to evaluate for GI symptoms and specifically IBD symptoms during and after therapy. 
And so how would I recommend that we screen for gastrointestinal symptoms and specifically for inflammatory bowel disease symptoms? It's important to be able to ask of the presence of any of these symptoms. Um, again, not alluding or not uh, assuming that this is all irritable bowel syndrome, especially if your patient tells you that they have once in a while diarrhea or cramping or pain, you really need to dig into these symptoms a little bit further. So get a better understanding of the pain, get a better understanding of diarrhea. What do they mean by diarrhea? How often? Are they waking up in the middle of night with bowel symptoms or with pain? Is there blood in the stool, unintentional weight loss, fever? Um, are there any particular triggers that seems to activate some of these symptoms? And again, has your patient previously had to even adapt or accommodate with these bowel symptoms with antidiarrheal medications, as an example? So these are some clues that you could dig into a little bit further with each individual patient to get a better understanding of what's their baseline of, of symptoms and then all also to help you differentiate in the future should you need it of, of is this inflammatory bowel disease already uh, or is this a potential side effect with the medication exposures that you might want to be concerned about, again, related to IL-17 therapies if you decide to initiate that treatment for your patient. I'd like to now review some of the options and seeing the overlap in psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis, and inflammatory bowel disease in comparison with IL-17 targeted therapies. So listed on your left is the different mechanisms of action, or MOA. We have our anti-TNF-alpha, our IL-1223 inhibitors, IL-1223 inhibitors, JAK inhibitors, anti-IL-17, and then the IL-17 receptor antagonist. That's listed out for the therapeutic respective agents. What you're seeing here with the anti-TNF-alpha as an example, you have listed out different therapeutic options across all the disease indications, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, psoriasis, as well as psoriatic arthritis. Similarly, with the anti IL-1223 used to kinemab, again, for all four indications. So if your patient has Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, psoriasis, or psoriatic arthritis across all indications, this is approved used to kinemab. Similarly, IL-23 inhibitors, rizankizumab, gazilkimab, and more in the pipeline, you can see here that across different indications, there might be an option as well for Crohn's disease as well as psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. With your JAK inhibitor, tofacinib or upadacinib, ulcerative colitis and psoriatic arthritis are disease indications for both of the uh, uh, disease indications and this specific mechanism of action. For the anti-IL-17, as listed out here, again, highlighting that this is IL-17 targeted therapies, and these therapies should be avoided for the bowel disease indications, and it's only for the psoriasis or psoriatic arthritis. And then lastly, the IL-17 receptor antagonist only for psoriasis approved indication. I've listed out a summary of treatment options for patients with psoriasis with or without inflammatory bowel disease. Now there's no clinical trials of treatment in patients with concurrent psoriasis and IBD. So the recommendation is to use agents that is found and already effective in both disease indications. Again, as listed out here, with the, those patients who have a history of inflammatory bowel disease, avoid the anti-IL-17 agents, utilize agents with already a mechanism of action approved for these other indications. 
If there's symptoms already present or a family history that's concerning for inflammatory bowel disease, dig in a little bit further into those symptoms and try to, again, be able to have a better understanding of, 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 of the potential risk or concern for inflammatory bowel disease, and perhaps even try to avoid an IL-17 because, again, potentially this can worsen or be a trigger for inflammatory bowel disease. And for patients with no history of IBD or does not have any concerning symptoms at present and no family history, and again, making sure you counsel your patients regarding the risks and the benefits and the symptoms to monitor for during and after therapy with the initiation of that IL-17 agent and then close monitoring thereafter. So reviewing Yolanda's case, again, as she pointed out to us, she previously was told to have irritable bowel syndrome and it's diarrhea dominant. So she already had described a history of baseline bowel symptoms that already could have been a concern for potential underlying mild, even inflammatory bowel disease instead of irritable bowel syndrome. With the development of worsening symptoms, especially after exposure to secukinumab, as I mentioned, the IL-17 antagonist, what we're seeing is that there is a risk of now bowel inflammation, worsening bowel symptoms, or even de novo inflammatory bowel disease. In the colonoscopy that was performed for Yolanda, what was found, in fact, was inflammation, gut inflammation seen on colonoscopy. The fecal calprotectin was also obtained, and this was elevated. And also in this particular patient, she had the symptoms that was consistent with the inflammation seen on colonoscopy, as well as the elevation in the biomarkers, the fecal calprotectin, and then again, the symptoms. So most appropriate in Yolanda is now recognizing that she's developed de novo inflammatory bowel disease. She may have had it before. We don't have that previous baseline colonoscopy to determine that. And really, this is a case to highlight the importance of if there was already reported bowel symptoms prior to initiation of an IL-17 antagonist for a patient, a baseline colonoscopy or even at least a fecal calprotectin would have been helpful to determine the potential risk or the potential monitoring of symptoms necessary when initiating it, an IL-17 agent. So for Yolanda, what she required ultimately was to be transitioned off of an IL-17 antagonist and switched to a different mechanism of action that is already approved and indicated for either her baseline uh, now the, the, the psoriasis as well as the inflammatory bowel disease. So again, treating both disease indications. A point I definitely want to make, particularly for, for patients that we're seeing that are young and otherwise healthy, is that perhaps even the symptoms are not reported to us, especially in the dermatology office, in a sense of how often are they uh, are our patients reporting bowel symptoms in a, in a skin office or a dermatology office, so to speak. So one reminder for all of us is when we're initiating appropriate therapy for our patients, Again, it's important to highlight these questions specifically and get really specific with bowel symptoms as well, recognizing, once again, the risk of developing worsening bowel symptoms or even developing inflammatory bowel disease when exposed 
two therapies such as an IL-17 antagonist. So specifically asking how many bowel movements do you have in a day? Have you had unintentional weight loss? Do you have nocturnal diarrhea? Do you have abdominal pain, blood in your stools? That list of, of symptoms to ask for, I really urge you to ask this in advance for all of your patients, especially because recognizing that some of our patients may not necessarily report some of these symptoms uh, given what, what clinic they're in. And, and again, in a dermatology office, they may not be reporting bowel symptoms to you directly. So please make sure you do not uh, miss an opportunity of highlighting and emphasizing these symptoms, particularly, again, recognizing the risk of developing bowel symptoms or bowel disease related to certain therapies and exposure to certain therapies. Thank you for joining us for today's cases. I think we've learned a lot, and I hope that this will help us co-manage patients with intertwined inflammatory or immune-mediated inflammatory diseases or conditions. Let's pull it all together with some smart goals to apply in practice. It's important to be able to incorporate consideration for that increased risk of developing inflammatory bowel disease in patients with psoriasis. It's also important to screen patients, particularly if you're considering treatment with an IL-17 inhibitor. So again, evaluate baseline bowel symptoms, evaluate family history, and also determine if an IL-17 agent is or may not be appropriate for each individual patient. Consider alternative mechanisms of action in place of an IL-17 targeted agent, such as an anti-TNF, anti-IL-1223 or an anti-IL-23 purely because this is approved for both or many indications, both for the gut as well as the skin. Again, particularly if concerned for underlying or co-occurring bowel disease and or psoriasis. Also important to consider the potential for new onset inflammatory bowel disease or de novo IBD in patients who develop bowel symptoms that's suggestive of inflammatory bowel disease and appropriate and early recognition and monitoring is necessary and then in turn appropriate therapy is necessary for those patients who have previously been treated with an IL-17 targeted agent. These activities, as well as many other educational resources for clinicians and patients, can be found online at the CME Outfitters Dermatology and Gastroenterology Virtual Education Hubs. To receive your continuing education credit for completing today's activity, participants must complete the post-test and evaluation online. Thank you all for participating and providing the best of care for your patients. Thank you.